0: Today, I'm continuing to talk on how to become a water walker. We've been teaching from Matthew chapter 14. There's so many things I've already taught about leading up to Peter walking on the water. Uh, One of the main points I've made is that there's reasons why some people receive the miraculous power of God and other people don't. And a lot of it has to do with positioning. You've got to be following God and doing what God tells you. And then when you run into a storm or opposition that comes against you, you can't bail. You can't just turn around and head for shore. You've got to stay focused and you've got to work through these things. And there's a lot of people that just quit. They give up too soon. You know, the Scripture says that in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That's a big word, that little two-letter if. If you don't faint you'll reap. But if you faint, if you quit, you won't receive. And there's a lot of people that just quit. I was talking to some people recently and I told them, you quit too soon. I mean, yes, there's opposition and I can understand people not enjoying the tough times, but man, you are going to have to be able to persevere and to go through things if you want to see the miraculous power of God. You know, I often say about guest ministers and also some of the ministers who are in our school and stuff, and I encourage the students. I said, this person has been in the ministry for 20, 40, 50, 60 years. We've had some people in that have been married for over 50 years, have pastored the same church for over 50 years. And I can guarantee you, even if you don't agree with everything they say, you need to respect a person who has stayed with the same woman and the same church for 50 years I can guarantee you you do not go that long without having some hardships some things life just comes against you and for you to persevere and go through it that is one of the great things that causes success is just you don't quit and there's so many people that quit we you know we have so many bad examples today of people that just didn't make it to the other side because they quit along the way. So anyway, we've already covered a lot of things. Let me go back to Matthew chapter 14 and in verse uh, 28, it says, And Peter said unto him, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I made a real point of this yesterday in this thirty or 29th verse. It says, when he was come down out of the ship, then he walked on the water. You can't walk on the water until you get out of the boat, until you leave the security of whatever it is that you're trusting in and just step out into a place to where if God doesn't come through, you're a, you're a goner. You're done for. And that's the way that you've got to do. You've got to you've got to be willing to risk it all. You've got to be willing to put everything on the line. You know, in in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 it says, uh, "I know the thoughts that I think toward you," says the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, and you shall seek me, and you shall find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart." I've had people before say, well, I prayed and I asked God and God didn't answer me. I didn't get any revelation. God didn't come through. And so they just quit. But notice it says, you shall seek me and you shall find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. This isn't talking about somebody who just gets into a little crisis and they want out of their crisis and they ask God for help. But they aren't committed to God. They aren't seeking with all of their heart. They're just wanting God to come through in the next five minutes because they've got their favorite TV show coming up and they aren't any more committed to it than just taking their spare time and using it. God, if you can work in my life by me giving you my spare time, that's fine. But no, you got to be committed. you got to be seeking God with all of your heart. And many people just aren't willing to get out of the relative security. They've got their own life planned. And God, if you don't come through, this is the way I'm going. But if you can come through, if you can do something, you know, without me having to get out of the boat, out of the ship, uh, running the risk of failure and stuff, then, then I'll serve you as long as it doesn't cost me anything. No, you've got to be willing to commit yourself. You've got to be willing to step out and if God doesn't come through, you're absolutely done for. And I tell you, I love living in that place. One of the benefits of doing this is that I'm in so much over my head. I'm believing God for things that are so much bigger than me that, you know what, I, it takes all the pressure off of me. Back when our ministry was small, I remember being in debt, you know, for $5,000, $10,000. And I would worry and I would fret about that, that, oh, God, I need a miracle. I need you to come through. And I actually would sometimes lay awake at night wondering how I could do this. And if God doesn't come through, I could quit the ministry and go get a job. And it would take me X number of months or years to pay off my debt. But now the ministry has grown to a place where we need 4 or $5 million a month just to break even. And this is so far beyond my ability that you know what? I couldn't quit the ministry. I couldn't go get a job. I could never pay this off. I'm in way, way, way over my head. And I sleep better now than I used to when the ministry was small because one of the benefits of just stepping out of the boat and getting out there that you're in way over your head, it has got to be God, it just is easy to cast your care over the Lord because this is just so much bigger than me. You need to be in a position to where you have stepped out, you are following God, and it actually is a wonderful, um, stress-free way to live because it's just, God, this is so big, you're the only one that can deal with it. I can't handle this. I saw a little cartoon one time of a guy laying in bed and he was sitting there propped up and his eyes were all bloodshot. You could tell he was dealing with insomnia. And there was one of these little uh, message box come out of heaven. It was God speaking. And he said, go to bed, my child. I'm going to be up all night anyway. And I thought that was awesome. There's no sense us worrying about something. Just cast your care over on God and make it God's problem. You go to sleep and let God deal with this thing. And see, this is what Peter did. He came down out of the ship. He stepped out of himself, out of security, out of what everybody else was doing, and Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus. You know, you can criticize Peter. Peter, you know, he made big mistakes. He denied the Lord. He did a lot of things. But there was 12 guys in that ship, and only one got out and walked on the water. Criticize him all you want. Peter did things that nobody else other than Jesus in recorded history has ever done. Peter walked on water. God can take that attitude. Sometimes those of us that, you know, just make mistakes and you don't do anything half-hearted. Even if you make a mistake, you make it with all of your heart. God can use that kind of attitude. It needs to be channeled. It needs to be tempered. But God can use that. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water to go to Jesus. That's awesome. But look at this. In verse 30, it says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Notice in the previous verse, he got out of the boat, walked on the water to go to Jesus. He was headed towards Jesus. His focus was... ...was on Jesus and on the word that Jesus had given him that said, come. As long as he was focused on Jesus, as long as he was focused on the word, he was able to walk on water. Look at this passage of scripture over in Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 1 it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. In verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You have to stay focused on Jesus and not focused on your problems. As long as Peter was going to Jesus, as long as his focus was on Jesus and on what Jesus had told him to do, he was able to do the impossible. He was able to walk on top of water. That was awesome. Did you know if you would be focused on Jesus and the Word that He has given you, you could walk on top of water. You could do the miraculous. You could do that which is impossible. But the problem is that we take our eyes off of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we begin to look around at the wind and the waves, boisterous, and we get distracted by looking at other things. Boy, this is huge. Just like it says here in Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We have to stay single-minded, focused upon Jesus and on what He's told us to do. You know, this instance of Peter walking on the water is a perfect example of exactly how we need to walk in the miraculous. If you look at Jesus and follow what He has to say Faith comes. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10:17. But in a similar way, but in the opposite way, doubt and unbelief, fear, small thinking also comes by hearing, hearing anything that's contrary to Jesus. And see, Peter took his attention off of the wind and I mean, off of Jesus and put it on the wind and the waves. And when he quit looking at Jesus and going by what Jesus said, then fear and doubt entered into him and he began to sink. This is the way that fear and doubt enters into us. There are many of you that just wonder, why do I struggle so much with unbelief? Why is it that it seems like it's easier to disbelieve God than it is to believe God? And it's because of the amount of time. And contact you have with all of the other stuff besides Jesus. Did you know that the wind and the waves weren't demonic? They weren't evil. Let me rephrase that. They may have been inspired by the devil. The devil may have whipped up the seas and stuff, but I'm saying it wasn't wrong to look at wind and waves. I've looked at wind and waves before. There's nothing sinful, it wasn't bad. But it wasn't Jesus also. If you want to walk in the supernatural, miraculous power of God, you may have to lay aside some things that aren't necessarily sin in themselves, but you are going to have to lay aside, like it says over in Hebrews chapter 12, where we were just reading, "...let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us." You don't only have to set aside sin, but you have to set aside weights." There are things that will weigh you down, that will hinder you, that will keep you from walking in the supernatural power of God. You know, there's not anything wrong with sports in their place. But there are people that are so into sports that they can tell you the stats on people back 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. They never miss a single thing. There's nothing wrong with sports in itself, but you can get to where you are so distracted that your attention is taken off of Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You are no longer meditating in His Word, but you are into all of these games and all of these sports. And you know what? It'll choke the Word of God, and it'll make you begin to start sinking. There are people that are into reading all of the news, and you get into all of these programs that talk about everything that's going wrong. And again, there's a place for being informed. But I guarantee you, if you listen to some of these talk shows uh, four, five, six hours a day, it is going to spoil you. It is going to make you negative. It's going to make you bitter. You aren't going to have the joy of the Lord. The Lord said over in Philippians chapter 4 to think on things that are pure and lovely and honest and things that are of good report, things that have virtue and praise. And I can guarantee you most of the news broadcasts today do not fit into that category. If you are just plugged into the world, if you're one that always has the television on and you've got to always have something going on... It is going to take your attention away from Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith and the Word that He's given you and you will begin to sink. And this is a great lesson right here. Peter did the impossible as long as he had his eyes focused on Jesus and on the Word. But when you take your eyes off of Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, you begin to sink. That is just so simple. This is so simple, you got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. And yet, sadly, most of us have had a lot of help. Most Christians only give a small percentage of their focus to Jesus. They are not single-minded. You know, the Apostle Paul, he made this same point. You could plug him right in here. It's the exact same principle. But Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind... I press on towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The thing that made Paul successful was that he did one thing. He didn't do multiple things. Paul was not a multitasker. I'll get in trouble for sure with all the women here. They love to brag about how they can multitask and do all of this. But you know, to me, multitasking just means you can do multiple things poorly. You are never going to do anything perfectly and to your best ability as long as you're multitasking. You need to decide what it is that God has called you to do. And maybe you are one that can do multiple things and you could prosper in many different ways. But I guarantee you, if you become good at many different things, you'll never be exceptional at anything, for you to be the best, for people to win in the Olympics. They might be able to play baseball, basketball, hockey, all kinds of things. But if they're going to be the best, if they're going to win the goal, they're going to have to focus on one thing to become exceptional. And this is the way it is. You need to be focused on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And the moment you take your attention off of Jesus, you begin to sink. And it doesn't have to be sin that takes your attention away from Jesus. Just focus on natural things. Just get to where you're preoccupied with anything besides what Jesus called you to do, and you will begin to sink. This is what happened to Peter. It wasn't sin for him to take his eyes off of Jesus. I mean, there was all of these things going on around him. There's nothing wrong with that in itself. But if you are out in the middle of a sea and you are in a life and death situation, you need to be able to put aside these other things that in themselves may not be sin, but you need to be able to be focused upon Jesus. You know, again, I've used this example so much. I hope people don't get tired of hearing it, but it's my experience. And I'm in the midst of building a Bible college that is going to last if the Lord tarries for generations. and I mean, it's a big deal. And you know what? I'm in the midst of something that it may not be sin for me to go out and do what a lot of other people do. You know, there's nothing wrong with golfing. There's nothing wrong with all of these other things. But I have been so busy. I'm in the midst of something. I have been so focused on the Lord that I it's been so long since I played golf, I'm not sure if I could remember how to do it. There's nothing wrong with being into sports and stuff, but I'm just in the midst of some things that if God doesn't come through, I'm done for. I mean, I'm on a sink. And because of that, I have had to put a priority, and I am just so focused on the Lord that I don't have a lot of time for other things. Other things that aren't necessarily sin, but I'm just in a situation that I need to be focused on the Lord. I think most people intuitively know this. When you get into a crisis situation and it looks like you're done for, you, the only way out is a miracle. Most people will set aside other things. They can find time to just put aside all of this other stuff that occupies them and then they get serious and they go to focusing on the Lord. Sad to say we shouldn't just do that on occasion. Just when you come into a crisis, we ought to live a life that is a fasted life where you don't have to just necessarily fast food, but you need to fast some pleasures. You need to fast some TV. You need to fast some of your sports things, some of your hobbies and stuff. And we just need to focus on the Lord. And if we would do that, just as Peter was able to walk on the water as long as he was focused on Jesus, you could walk on top of whatever your situation is if you were focused on Jesus. I tell you, this is a great lesson right here. What a great lesson. Man, as long as Peter walked on, focused on Jesus, he walked on the water. That same thing will work for you and me, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, you've got to get out of the ship. You've got to get away from whatever it is that you are putting your trust in. And you need to get to where you just trust the Word of God. You stand on the Word of God. And then once you do that, don't change. I'm amazed at how many people start out focused on God because there is no other way that they're going to make it. But then, after they begin to start seeing success, after things are working, they get to where it's like they can coast. They feel that they can rest. And all of a sudden, they take their attention off of the Lord. You know, I believe that this happened with Peter right here because if you go on and read, it says that when he saw the wind boisterous... "...he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, "'Lord, save me,' and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him.'" Now notice what it doesn't say. It didn't say that Jesus ran to him and got him and lifted him up. It says he just stretched forth his hand, implying that Peter was so close to Jesus that he could nearly touch him, and he just stretched forth his hand. Now here's here's some other things that are significant about this. As long as Peter was just out on this water and Jesus was far off, Peter kept his attention on Jesus. But when he had just about reached his goal, when he was just about there, he felt like, I've made it, I no longer have to be dependent upon looking at Jesus. And he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to look at the wind and the waves, and he sang. And here's another great lesson to learn, and that is that when Peter was in a situation where he was out there all by himself... He kept his focus on the Lord. But when he felt like he had just about obtained his goal, he relaxed. He no longer had that same intensity. He no longer was focused only on Jesus and on His Word, and he began to look at other things. I'm telling you that this happens to a lot of people, that they will seek the Lord when there is no way out but the Lord. But then when they begin to start prospering, when it looks like things are going to work, when they can see light at the end of the tunnel and it's not another train but you're about to come through this thing, many people will relax and quit doing the very things that brought them to that place of near deliverance. Anything that takes our attention away from Jesus will cause us to sink. Boy, that's huge what I just said. I don't think most people get that. I've got a teaching entitled Hardness of Heart and the title is not real you know, uh, attracted to people. Matter of fact, a good friend of mine, Bob Yandian, heard me teach on hardness of heart and it really blessed him. So he said he took it and fixed all of my mistakes and taught it the way it was supposed to be taught and then he entitled it The Power of an Established Heart or something and he says it's one of his best-selling books and he said it's because he put a positive spin on it. I call it Uh, hardness of heart. I don't, I may not be the best marketing thing, but that's the way that God spoke it to me was that I had a hardened heart. He showed me what caused it and what cures it. And, uh, it's powerful. But anyway, the point that I'm making is that it doesn't, it's not just sin that hardens our heart, like Hebrews chapter 3 says, but the scripture says that Our heart becomes hardened towards God when we consider anything else. Whatever you consider is what your heart becomes sensitive to. Whatever you fail to consider, it becomes hardened to. And the fact is that most of us have failed to consider Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the way that we should. And because of that, our hearts have become hardened, insensitive, unfeeling, cold, indifferent to the Lord. And it's not sin with everybody. It's not that Christians are out there just totally rebelling at God. It's that we have, you know, like it says in Mark chapter 4, we've let the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things come in, choke, uh, choke away the word that was in our heart. And this is where I think most people are missing it. Peter, he missed it because he took his eyes off of Jesus and he didn't look at things that were sinful It wasn't sin to see the wind or the waves, but he was in a situation where he needed to keep his attention upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You know, if you're going to stay in the boat, if all you're going to do is what everybody else does and you aren't believing for something miraculous, well, then you may not have to be stayed on Jesus. You could just live your life, be sick, suffer, have problems... Make no difference in anybody else's life and live and die and go to be with the Lord and in heaven it will all be worth it all. If that's the way that you want to live, you may not have to become a fanatic and be just focused on God. But if you're going to get out of the boat, if you're going to get out and start believing for things that are absolutely beyond your own ability, it's impossible to do. You are going to have to keep your focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So Peter took his attention away from Jesus and he saw the wind and the waves. You know, the wind and the waves didn't have anything to do with him walking on the water. Why Why was it that he was attracted to this? Why did he want to see this? You know, Peter couldn't have walked on the water if it had been a perfectly calm day. If the sun would have been out and if there had been no wind and no waves, he still couldn't have walked on the water. The wind and the waves didn't have anything to do with what he was doing. And yet, you know what it did? It reminded him that he was only human. It brought his attention away from the person who was was not only human, who was supernatural, who was walking in the supernatural power of God. It took his attention away from the Word of God that created all of these things. And it put his attention back on just natural things it reminded him that he was only human. He started thinking from a human standpoint. For a brief period of time, Peter quit thinking like a mere human being. And he began to do things that human beings can't do. Man, that's powerful. And you know what? God has changed us. If you are in Christ Jesus, Second Corinthians five seventeen says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you are truly born again, you aren't just human. One third of you is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. It's wrong to sing this song about, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. I am not just a man. I have been born again, and I am a new creature. And there is a part of me that is as supernatural, as perfect as it's ever going to be in heaven. And to the degree that I can renew my mind and control my thinking and control my actions by this new part of me, I can walk in that supernatural power of God right now. But I'm going to have to quit thinking like a mere human being. I'm going to have to quit expecting to get just what everybody else gets. You know, when I talk about these things and about believing God, I've had people criticize me and say, So who do you think you are? And they think that I'm saying that in my flesh, somehow or another, I'm better than other people. That's not what I'm saying. My body is just a human body. My mind is just a human mind. Now, it's been under the influence of the Word of God, and it's being renewed. And so that, in that sense, I think differently than a lot of people. But in my spirit, I am different than a person that doesn't know God. I am different than people that haven't been born again. I have the supernatural power of God living on the inside of me and I need to approach life's challenges from this supernatural born again perspective instead of just saying, Lord, I'm only a human. Instead of just saying, oh God, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. I'm not only a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner, but I got saved by grace and now I'm the righteousness of God. And I have God's power living on the inside of me. And I should not be expecting to just get what everybody else gets. You have to believe that God has made you able to partake of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's what the scripture says. "...to as many as believed on him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name." Jesus said in John 14, 12, "...the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father." We should be expecting supernatural. We should not be just expecting that, oh, it's flu season, I'm going to get the flu. Oh, it's allergy season, I've had these my whole life. Oh, there's an epidemic going around, and so I'm going to have the same problem that everybody else has. And, you know, cancer, the doctor says I've got cancer, and so I guess I have to go through all the chemotherapy. I have to go through everything, and I don't know if I'll make it. There's only a 10% chance that I'm going to make it. Man, why would you think like that? Somebody says, well, how else can you think? You can think that, you know, Jesus lives on the inside of me, and the same power that raised him from the dead is in me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. And that no plague will come nigh my dwelling. Psalms chapter 91 that only with my eyes will I see the reward of the wicked. That's what the Word of God says. And we now have this supernatural power living on the inside of us, and we've got to quit relating to being only human. I'm not denying that there's a part of me that's human, but I'm not only human. I've also got the divine nature of God living on the inside of me, and because of it, I expect supernatural results. Amen. And I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. I think that here you are, this brand new creature, and you aren't taking advantage of what God has purchased for you. You're living a substandard life. See, to me, I get all of this from Peter taking his eyes off of Jesus, taking his eyes off the supernatural, off of the Word, the promise of what God could do, and he started looking at the natural realm and relating to the natural realm... And he started having thoughts of what am I doing out here? I'm only a man. I'm out in the middle of the ocean. I can't walk on the water. He began to start seeing his limitations. He started limiting what he believed he could do. For one brief moment, when he saw Jesus, he was inspired to believe that he could do what Jesus could do. Jesus had told him you'd do greater works. And for one brief moment... Peter kept his eyes on Jesus and on what the Word that Jesus gave him was able to do and he defied the natural realm and he lived supernaturally instead of just naturally. I tell you, it doesn't have to be for just a brief moment. Through the Word of God and through stories like this, truths like this, we can begin to start walking in the supernatural. You can get to where you expect for the miraculous. You know, I don't expect just to end my life the way everybody else does. You know, I'm getting older. It was just, um, I guess, a week ago today. I turned 66. And I'm seeing other ministers that, you know, are in their later years of life. And some of them are dealing with Alzheimer's. Some of them are dealing with all these physical problems and things like this. And there is a tendency for me to think, well, who am I? I'm only human Why should I be any different? And there's a tendency to think that way, but I fight against it. And I look at the Word of God. And in uh, Deuteronomy chapter, I believe it's chapter 32, it says that Moses was 120 years old, and his natural force was not abated, nor his eyesight dim. And what Moses had is inferior to what I have as a New Testament believer. If Moses could live to be 120 and he's still strong, matter of fact, the day that he died, he climbed Mount Nebo. Here's a 120-year-old man climbing a mountain the day that he died. That's what I want to do. His eyesight wasn't dim. He could still see. That's what I'm believing for. And I know many people, you know, they have glasses and all this. I'm not against you. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be just human if you want to be and just say, well, you're getting older and this is the way it's got to be. But I don't believe it has to be that way. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. I'm keeping my eyes on His Word. And there are people in the Word who live to be 120 years old. Their natural force wasn't abated, nor their eyesight dim. And God is no respecter of persons. If He did it for them, He'll do it for me. And because of it, I'm not just looking at the wind and the waves. I'm not just looking at other people and saying, Well, this is normal. This is natural. This is the way it's got to be. No, it doesn't have to be that way. I believe that I can experience God's best for me. But it's not going to happen without me believing for it. It's not going to happen if I take my eyes off of Jesus and I start listening to everybody else and reading the doctor's reports and what everybody else is experiencing. Amen. I know that there's a lot of people thinking this is just strange. Well, this is the reason. I'm not a perfect example. I am not trying to present that. But you know what? For the last 46 years, I've been walking with God and I've only had minor things happen to me. I've had a couple of times in 46 years that I've fought sickness and that was through my own stupidity because I ministered 40 times one week and then 41 times the next week, and I got so uh, tired, I literally had to crawl into bed. I could not walk. I was so worn out, and I just depleted myself. And I had, But outside of stupidity, I have been walking in the supernatural power of God, and I have not been sick. I don't believe in getting sick. I've taken, I think, two Tylenol in 46 years and that's when I had a tooth pulled one time and it just hurt and I took the Tylenol to get over it. But outside of that, I hadn't had any medication. I hadn't done anything in 46 years. I'm healthy as a horse. God has blessed me. And you know one of the reasons? Because I don't look at the wind and the waves. I don't look at what's going on in the natural I don't compare myself with other people and just expect to go the way that they go. I'm walking on the water. I'm looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And to the best of my ability, I'm getting single-minded on Jesus. I'm not taking my eyes off and I'm not going to go by what's happening to you or what the news says, the internet says, so-and-so says or whoever. I'm going to go by what the Word of God says and that's my standard. We need to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we're living way below our privileges. Not only in the area of health. i focused on that a lot today. But in the area of finances, there's people that just expect to just barely get along. And they expect that as they get older that they're going to have to live on a a meager income and things like this. People say, but I have people write me all the time and say, I'm on a Social Security income. And anyway, I don't want to get off on this. I'll get a lot of people writing me in on this. I'm not against Social Security. If you paid into it, it's fine for you to get your money back out of it. I'm not against Social Security, but did you know 40-something years ago, I opted out of it. As a minister, you can do that. And I filed the Form 4360 saying I'd never take it. So I didn't pay into it. I don't have anything coming out of it. And I'm not against you again. If you've paid into it, it's fine to get your money back. But I'm saying that if that is the extent of your faith, if all you can believe for is to live off of Social Security, you aren't believing God for His best. Man, God can bless you so that in your latter years of your life, instead of you just barely getting by and having to go to an old folks' home or to do something, you could be so prosperous that you could be giving money to your children, to your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. You could be a blessing. You can go out with a shout instead of a whimper. I believe that. But see, most people are looking at the wind and the waves. They're looking at all the natural. They're listening to everybody else. They aren't focused on Jesus and on His Word. His Word says that He would supply all of your need. Its Word says... That according to your days, so shall your strength be. That means however long you live, you're going to have strength. As long as you're here, you can expect to be healthy. You do not have to just waste away and get to where you're invalid and all these kind of things. And there's people right now that you're thinking, well, now, wait a minute, I know a minister, so-and-so, and they have this, and they are struggling. And again, see, you've taken your eyes off of Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith, and you're looking at the others, you're comparing yourself with other people. I'm not critical of other people. You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word, and most people aren't in the Word, and most people haven't heard this, and so by default, they just go with what's happening with everybody else, and I'm not critical of that. If they know the Lord, they're going to go to be with the Lord, and man, they'll get a glorified body, and everything will be just awesome. But... I don't believe we have to be that way. We can keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, financially, emotionally, mentally, physically, influence-wise, in every area of our life. We can see the supernatural power of God manifest, but you're going to have to keep your eyes on Jesus and not look at the wind and the waves not look at circumstances, not just relate to things as, well, I'm only human. No, I'm not only human. I've been born again and I now have the supernatural power of God on the inside of me and I'm expecting supernatural results. I'm expecting to keep walking on the water until the day I leave this earth. I expect to start, keep seeing the supernatural power of God in my life. And I'd like to encourage you to join me and to be a part of it. I'd like to encourage you to believe for supernatural things. Go to the Word of God and take what God's Word says about you, not what your your relative says about you, not what your history says about you. You know, I've I've gone and taken some physicals for different things, and they always ask about your, your parents. My dad died when he was 54 years old from heart disease. And because of that, everybody just projects heart disease on me. But my mother lived to be 96 and she was just fine until she died and went home to be with the Lord. Why don't people ever take her side? But see, they just look for the negative and stuff and they gravitate towards it. Well, I rejected that a long time ago. I broke any curses over me through, you know, my genetics and I've prayed over that, and man, I I had a physical done, and they said I had the heart of a 17-year-old. You do not have to be limited by what has happened in your family and all of these kind of things, but it's going to happen unless you focus on Jesus, the author, and the finisher of your faith. If you look, you take your eyes off of Jesus and you go to living by anybody else's standards, you start going by what the world has to say, You're going to sink. Too many people suppose that they are only human and therefore they're going to experience what everybody else experiences. I tell you, you'll never be a water walker. You'll never walk in the supernatural if you just are thinking you're going to be like everybody else. That kind of thinking, in a sense, puts a limit on you and what you can accomplish. And you look around and you see what the average of everybody else is And you might do just a fraction better than normal, but you will never be exceptional as long as you are thinking that you're just human. You're going to have to begin to recognize that part of you is supernatural, that God has placed His uh, supernatural ability on the inside of you. And you've got to look at Jesus and what His Word says and not just relate to the natural. That is really, really important. And let me point out here, it says in uh, verse 30. This is Matthew fourteen thirty. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, he cried saying, Lord, save me. Now, here's something I want to point out. And I, you know, I have never seen anybody begin to sink in my life. I mean, if you tried to walk on water, you're either going to walk on water or you're going to sink. You don't begin to sink. The terminology here is really significant and I think it reveals a great truth and that is that when you do get out of the boat and if you do start walking in the supernatural and if we do get our eyes off of the Lord, which I think all of us do at times, the distractions of the world and persecutions and just life gets in the way, but you don't sink all at once. You just begin to sink. When you are walking with the Lord, I can tell you by my own personal testimony that in my walk with the Lord, I don't just fail all at once. I I begin to fail. I take my eyes off of the Lord and I begin to be distracted and I recognize I'm not spending as much time in prayer and fellowship with the Lord as what I used to. I'm not as excited about the things of the Lord as I used to be. I see telltale signs of something happening. And if you would just make a commitment that the moment you begin to recognize any of these things, that you aren't as passionate as you used to be, you aren't as excited, you're now worried about something, and there's just you know all kinds of different signs that are evidence that you are beginning to sink, that you aren't focused on the Lord the way you were. The moment you see these things begin to come to pass, if you would deal with it then, before you sink, before you're underwater. And if you would just recognize these signs and deal with it, then you can get back on track. Again, in my own personal life, you know, I I don't know that I've ever done anything perfectly, but I seek the Lord, I pray, I study the Word, but I get busy with the ministry, and I, I travel, and I do a lot of things, and there are times that I honestly just do not spend as much time focused on the Lord as I should be. And when that happens, I notice that I'm just not as sensitive to the Lord. I'm not hearing the Lord speak to me the way that I used to. And the moment I begin to recognize any of these telltale signs, you know what I'll do? I'll turn something off. I'll refocus my attention. I'll make sure I'm looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And because of that, I haven't just sunk. I have begun to sink. I have seen some of these things coming because, again, I just don't think you ever do anything perfectly. We're all in the process, and we're learning. You know, I've used this example many times, so I won't go into the whole thing. But Jim Irwin, one of the astronauts who landed on the moon, told me that they blasted off towards the moon, and then every 10 minutes for four days, they had a course correction. And sometimes they'd be going 90 degrees opposite the direction they wanted to go and they'd have to have a huge burn to get back. Other times it was just a fraction. But the truth is they went to the moon like this. And see, I think that this is the way that we follow the Lord. Nobody just follows the Lord and everything is perfect and you never miss a beat and you never do anything wrong. If you are thinking that you've got to be a perfectionist and that you've got to do everything just exactly perfectly, you'll never get anything done. You know, I had a friend of mine who came up here to our Bible college and he wanted to go back and start his own Bible college. And so he sent me a form of, I think, four or five pages of questions about how we do things. And so I let my staff fill out most of it. But the last question I had to answer And the last question was basically, if you had it to do all over again, what would you do differently? And you know, I thought about this because I was going to be giving a friend of mine uh, instructions on things. And you know, uh, our Bible college, we're now in our 21st year and it has changed a lot. I was just talking to a person who graduated 10 years ago or something and now has come back and they're doing the third year and they said it's not even the same school. We've grown. Our staff has changed. We are so much more organized. We have systems now. We have things in place that we didn't have back then. Our facilities have changed. Just, there is just radical, radical change. And there's a lot of differences. But when I was thinking, what would I do differently? You know, if I was back in that same position I was 21 years ago when we had no money, no experience... No clout with anybody. Nobody was going to leave some large ministry to come and help me start this thing because they weren't sure it would last. If I had the same limitations, the same understanding, the same experience and everything, you know what? I wouldn't have done anything differently. I did it the very best that I could 21 years ago. Was it, Is it as good back then as it is now? No. But we've grown. And anyway, I wound up telling this friend of mine some things that I thought would be important. But basically, I said, don't wait until you can do it perfectly. We didn't do it perfectly, but we just got started. And we have learned along the way, and God has improved it. And I think that this is why so many people don't walk in the miraculous. They don't walk on water. They struggle to see the supernatural power of God in their life. And it's because they are wanting to do things just perfectly and they're afraid that they'll make a mistake. You know, a scripture that has really ministered to me out of uh, Philippians chapter 3, I believe it's verse 15. It's talking about in the previous verses about do this one thing and if you be otherwise minded in anything, God shall reveal this unto you. So it says to be focused on God, forget the things that are behind, focus on one thing, and if you are otherwise minded, God will reveal it unto you. And this is kind of the way I live my life. I have direction from God. I use as much wisdom as I possibly can to head in that direction and follow Him. But I learn as I go, and just like Peter, he began to sink when he took his eyes off of Jesus The moment I begin to realize that, you know what, I'm not as sensitive, I'm taking care about things, I'm worried about something, I'm not fellowshipping with the Lord, I'm not spending as much time in praise and worship and fellowship with God, the moment I see any of these telltale signs, I immediately just go back and refocus on the Lord and it keeps me from sinking. So this is really significant to me. This is a great truth about how to be a water walker is to recognize that you just start in that direction, and then as you go, you make course corrections as you go. If you're otherwise minded, God will reveal this to you. He will show you things, and He will pick you up. And as I mentioned earlier, it says that uh, the Lord reached out His hand. When Peter began to sink, He reached out His hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith... Wherefore didst thou doubt? In other words, Peter was right up to Jesus. Jesus didn't have to run and go get him. He just reached out his hand, which implies that Peter had made it nearly all the way to him. And this shows that most people kind of let up. They they quit being intense in their seeking God when it looks like they're going to make it. Everything is working out. And so when you are nearing success, when you've already come through a crisis is really a crisis time then. Because during a crisis situation, most people will seek God, but then when things begin to improve, people let up, and that is really when the crisis is. You just need to be God-dependent all of the time and never, ever, ever back off of this. And look in verse 31. It says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? Now this is important. And again, I've got a teaching entitled Hardness of Heart that deals with this in much greater detail. I hadn't got time to go into this. But real quickly, let me just mention this. This is over in the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew. And Jesus' disciples tried to cast the demon out of a boy who had seizures and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus had to do it for them and it says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 19, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. Now, this is significant. He didn't say it's because of your little faith. Now, let me just say that the NIV and some other translations say because of your little faith, but that's not an accurate translation. Matter of fact, the NIV omits Matthew seventeen twenty one completely. It doesn't even put it in the Scriptures. Man, I have a hard time with that. But it says it's because of your unbelief. Because the rest of this verse goes on to say, "...for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, if you um, ye shall say unto this mountain, be removed uh, hence to yonder place, and it shall remove in nothing..." shall be impossible unto you. If the point was it's just because you have a little faith, well, then the rest of this verse would be meaningless because he goes on to say it only takes a little faith. If if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, that's enough to see a mountain cast into the sea. It would be counter to the point. So it cannot mean that it's because of your little faith. It wasn't because of little faith. It was because of unbelief. And this raises a question. Most people think, now, wait a minute. If I've got unbelief, that means I don't have faith. No, you can have faith and unbelief at the same time. And again, in this teaching entitled Hardness of Heart, I really go into great length right here to explain all of this. I'm not going to take time. I don't have time to make those same points. But it's important that you realize you don't have to have this huge faith. You do not have to be a faith giant to walk on water. Peter walked on water, and yet, going back to Matthew chapter 14, when he began to sink, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Peter was not a faith giant. Peter only had a little faith. It wasn't his little faith, or let me say it this way, you don't have to have this huge faith To walk on water, you just have to have a pure faith. And as long as Peter, who Jesus said here only had little faith, as long as Peter was focused on Jesus and on what Jesus had said to him, come, well then he was able to defy the elements. He was able to do the impossible with just a little faith. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus, doubt entered in. A scripture that I've used often is Romans 10:17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, likewise, unbelief comes by hearing anything except God's Word. And when Peter took his attention off of Jesus and began to consider other things, unbelief began to come in through these negative things and he began to sink. But notice, he never did have big faith. It's not that he started with big faith and then it dwindled to little faith. No, he had little faith the whole time and little faith was enough to walk on water if he didn't doubt. Now this is encouraging to me and I hope it encourages you. And that is that you do not have to be a great man or woman of faith. You don't have to consider yourself to be this super giant spiritually. It's not a matter of getting great faith. It's a matter of having little unbelief. And the faith that you have as a born again believer is sufficient for anything that God calls you to do if you don't doubt. Mark 11:23 Whosoever shall say unto this mountain Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice you have to not doubt in your heart. That's the key. And so you don't have to have this great faith. Abraham was not a faith giant. And I know some people struggle with that and say, "Oh man, Abraham believed for a child when he was about 100 years old. Let me just read this to you over in the book of Romans chapter 4 where Paul was talking about Abraham. And it says in verse 18, "...who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall I see be." See now, here again is the exact same thing we've been teaching from uh, Matthew chapter fourteen about how Jesus said, "Come," and it was actually the Word of God that Peter was walking upon. He took the power and the authority, the anointing that was in that one word, Come," and he defied the elements. Well, um Abraham had a word from God, he had five words, "So shall thy seed be." If you can count the stars in the sky or number the grains of sand on the seashore, so shall your seed be. And he based his faith on the Word. It's the exact same thing we're talking about in Matthew chapter 14. And look at this in verse 19. This is Romans 4:19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. It says he wasn't weak in faith. His faith was strong. How? Because he didn't consider his own body now dead, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Going back to Matthew chapter 14, he didn't take his eyes off of Jesus and look at the wind and the waves and begin to just relate to things in a totally human, natural way. But he kept his attention on Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith. Whatever you consider, and the word consider means to study, ponder, Deliberate, examine, focus upon, meditate upon. Whatever your focus is, your heart becomes dominated and controlled by that. And whatever you fail to focus on, your heart becomes uh, hardened towards that. The problem has been that we've got knowledge about Jesus, but we aren't focused on Him. We're focused on the wind and the waves. We're looking at all of these other things, and because of it, it makes our faith weak. Abraham did not have huge faith, but he had a pure faith. He didn't have a diluted faith. It wasn't corrupted by all of the other things. Paul, or excuse me, Abraham did not spend four or five hours a day watching television. He did not listen to the nightly news. He didn't take the Jerusalem post that taught against all of these kind of things. Abraham lived a life that in the daytime he looked at all of the grains of sand on the seashore. He had sand on his feet. He was constantly reminded of that. At night he sat out under the stars and saw the stars in the sky. And so day and night he was constantly reminded, so shall your seed be. He was focused on the Word of God, and because of it, Abraham was a water walker. He was able to do the miraculous, but it wasn't because he had a huge faith. He had a pure faith where he wasn't considering all of these other things. He wasn't looking to the right or to the left. He didn't listen to everybody else. What I'm sharing with you is really important because a lot of people think, well, faith works. When I give testimony of my son being raised from the dead, my wife being raised from the dead, miracles happening, people say, well, I know it works. I know faith works, but you just don't feel like you have any or you don't have enough. People are always saying, oh, God, increase our faith. The truth is you don't need greater faith. What you need is less unbelief. And unbelief comes when you take your attention away from Jesus and you look at the wind and the waves and you consider all of these other things and you begin to figure out why it shouldn't work. You know, in some of my foreign offices, um, this one place in particular, I'm not going to mention where it is, but they just have it in their mind that if there are 99 reasons why something will work and one reason why it won't You have to focus on that one reason why it won't and eliminate all possibility and stuff. And they are just negative, 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 fearful about taking any risk whatsoever. I'm the opposite. If there was 99 reasons why it won't work, but one reason why it will, and that reason includes God telling me to do it, I'd focus on that one thing. I just stay focused on what God tells me to do. But there are some people that they just feel like it's wisdom. They have to explore all of the reasons why something won't work. They feel like it's wisdom and prudence. But look at Abraham. When God spoke to him, it says in verse um, 20, it says, "...he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief," but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. It says in verse 19, he didn't even consider his own body now dead. He didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. Did you know if God was to tell you at 100 years old, you were going to have a child? Most of us probably wouldn't be blessed by that. But if you thought that was a good deal and if you wanted it and wanted to believe for it, Most people would go to a doctor, get an examination, find out, is it true? You would go on the internet, find out what the oldest any person ever was when they gave birth to a child. You would get your wife examined. You would accumulate this huge mound of unbelief, and then you'd try and stand and believe God. But Abraham didn't even consider. The word consider means to study, ponder, deliberate, examine, think upon. He didn't even think about His age being 100 years old, his wife being 91 years old, he didn't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. Again, this is showing that unbelief comes by what you are considering. When Peter considered Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith, and focused on the Word that he had given him, he walked on water. When he took his attention off of Jesus and looked at other things, he began to sink. It's the same for you and me. If you could just take the Word of God Love Jesus. Let Him speak to you. Act on that word and be single-minded to where you don't think on anything else. Don't look to the right or the left. Don't look at the wind and the waves. Just focus on Jesus. I guarantee you, you can walk on water. You can do the miraculous. The moment you take your attention off of Jesus, you begin to sink. And when you see those signs, man, go back, refocus, and you'll find out that you can walk on water. Praise God.